Welcome to the Clinical Podcast Series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. Today's episode is entitled Change in Corneal Power Distribution in Orthokeratology, a Predictor for the Change in Axial Length. I'd like to thank our host today, Dr. Dave Kading, our topical expert, Dr. Safal Kanal, and our lead topical editor, Dr. Andrew Pucker. And now it is my pleasure to bring you today's episode. Thank you again for joining us for the clinical podcast series. We're excited to uh, have uh, Dr. Safal Kanal on with us, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on the clinical podcast series. Thank you for having me. Yes, and uh, we want to tell us again a little bit about you. You're at uh, UAB, I believe. That is correct, and uh, I'm I'm a faculty in the School of Optometry at uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham. Uh, I also run uh, my peer research uh, program here at UAB, and and really the focus is. Uh, to uh, investigate the mechanisms of uh, myopia development and progression, and also to uh, identify certain interventions to slow progression in children. Yeah. And my name is Dave Kading. I practice in Seattle, Washington, and uh, we're both uh, big fans of myopia. I have the myopia podcast, and uh, it's awesome to be able to uh, share uh, share this podcast series with uh, such a esteemed group of people. I love reviewing literature, and this is a really interesting article that you are going to be reviewing for this. This is uh, the change in corneal power distribution in orthokeratology. It's a predictor for the change in axial length. Uh, so, you know, the, the question that kind of comes up is, why is this topic um, of this paper so important to us optometrists? Give us a little bit of an overview and why you think this is important for us to be thinking about. Well, this topic uh, is important uh, to us because it informs uh, whether changes in corneal power distribution at, at baseline uh, of a child can actually predict excellent change following orthokeratology treatment. And now we know orthokeratology is a proven way to slow uh, myopia progression in children, um, but it only has a, a partial efficacy of, uh, of around 50%. So identifying ways to improve that efficacy is a topical issue at the moment. And this paper addresses this issue by looking at corneal power distribution in eyes wearing orthokeal lenses to see whether the um, aspiracity of the treatment zone or simply what you can call the speed of corneal power change from the center to the periphery is associated with the uh, axial length change after one year of orthokeratology treatment. Yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, about the study. What were some of the key findings in this article? Well, in this study, the authors uh, featured about 76 uh, children with orthokeratology lenses uh, and performed refraction axial length corneal, corneal topography measures at, at baseline and then at several intervals for up to one year. Uh, and through some uh, really complicated model fits, they calculated the total change in corneal refractive power from the center to the periphery, as well as the speed of the change in corneal refractive power from the center to the periphery, which they call power exponent. 
So basically lower power exponent means a higher aspericity and a quicker rate of power change from center to periphery. The authors then correlated these measures with axial length change after one year of treatment. And as, as expected, they found that myopia decreased significantly, but the corneal refractive power was stable throughout the treatment period. But more importantly, they found that the speed of change in corneal refractive power from the center to periphery was significantly associated with the change in axial length after one year of treatment. And this is useful information to have in clinical practice uh, because this suggests that a higher aspiric treatment zone uh, or a greater change of power from center to the periphery could produce a better axial length control with orthokeratology lenses. Mm -hmm. So is this a, a function of the, the fit of the lenses or the outcome of the topography that we would be seeing these changes? Well, primarily, primarily an outcome of the topography uh, right. with, the, with the lenses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, make sure I'm understanding you correctly. So as I look at topography, I'm looking at the, the greatest amount of treatment uh, within a patient's pupil size, I presume, compared to the least amount of treatment. And we're looking at the amount of change within that area from the least to the most. And the more that we saw meant the less axial elongation. Is that uh, an accurate way to describe that? Well, actually, uh, uh, rather, than, rather than the amount of change from the center to the periphery, the shape the of the change. of change from the center to the periphery yeah. uh, right. that these authors are showing to have been uh, associated with uh, excellent change. Right. So how does this really guide us in the selection of our patients? Is this something that we can look at a patient and predict maybe uh, who's going to get that type of change? Yes, uh, this paper at least shows that in, in orthokeratology treatment, the aspericity of the treatment zone or the speed of uh, change in power, corneal power from the center to the periphery is a critical factor. And patients with a more aspheric treatment zone or, or a faster rate of change in power from the center to the periphery tend to show better results in terms of axial length control with uh, orthokeratology. So by looking at the corneal refractive uh, power distribution, practitioners, practitioners could tailor orthokeratology treatment to specific patients and administer alternative forms of uh, treatments to those with a less aspheric corneal uh, power profile. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 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 again, this is just a key component here um, for us really in deciding who we're going to be most effective for. So tell us any closing thoughts and how do we apply this clinically? What, uh, what, what would you suggest that we use this for and uh, really, uh, you know, drive it home? Well, again, I just want to highlight uh, the fact that uh, while administering myopic control interventions such as orthokeratology, uh, one size does not fit all. So it is right. important to consider uh, not only the baseline characteristics of every individual child, but also the optical profile, for example, the corneal power distribution, um, uh, so that uh, we, we can tailor treatment paradigms to individual child and also ensure optimal success of any myopia control intervention. Yeah, I couldn't say it better. Absolutely. 
So I think as we're, as we're looking to improve our outcomes, this study has really shown us that as we're fitting patients with orthokeratology, our, our objective is to try to get as much asphericity as we can and, uh, and, and utilizing designs that can get us that type of, uh, to fit. And that'll uh, apparently, according to this study, really help to slow down the axial elongation in our patients. Fantastic overview, really, really well put. I appreciate your perspectives on this. Uh, and uh, thank you for being part of the podcast series. Absolutely. Yes. And thank you for joining us for the clinical podcast series with the uh, Academy's uh, Foundation. We're really grateful for this series and how it's helping to uh, drive home some research into our clinical practice. Stay tuned for the next episode. And a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen.